0: And now, beautiful people going fast on fire. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, Kino Club Edition.
1: Welcome to True Fiction's Kino Club Edition. What is Kino Club? A group of film lovers get together and watch a film. Then we meet after and break down what we saw. This is a warts and all recording where we share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there will be spoilers, so be warned. This meeting we review the 1990 suspense action film Hunt for Red October. This movie has an all-star cast with Sean Connery as a Russian submarine captain. Rotten Tomatoes gives this movie a 89% fresh rating from the critics and an 88% fresh rating from the audience. And this is what Rotten Tomatoes has to say about this flick, based on the popular Tom Clancy novel. The suspenseful movie tracks Soviet submarine captain Marco Ramius, played by Sean Connery as he abandoned his orders and heads for the east coast of the United States. Without further ado, Kino Club discusses The Hunt for Red October. So folks, we watched the 1990 Hunt for Red October. What did you guys think of that movie?
2: I'll go first. If it's not the cleverest action movie I've seen, it's in my top five. I think it is an example of the kind of writing that we Way too seldom see. I was thoroughly impressed. Haven't watched it for probably twenty, twenty-five years. Blown away by how well it was written. I, I liked a lot of the other aspects. I mean, the structure of the plot is what really blew me away.
0: I was. I hadn't seen it. Probably. I think I told you guys like three to five years. It's been a while. And I definitely had never watched it analytically. You know, for something like this. But it's one. Of, it is definitely when i whenever I get an opportunity to watch that, that movie. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, and I'll just sit and watch it because I really enjoy it. I had never really thought of it as an action movie. I always thought of it more as a thriller type of deal. And, you know, kind of a not, not espionage, not really spy, but it was Cold War. And it was, you know, I mean, you guys all, you know, you guys both know the plot and everything. I think that is the movie that made me interested in Tom Clancy. I would love to say that I'm a Tom Clancy fan, but I can't because he's so over-explanatory about the px-94 and the x18f and the you know whatever everything's got to be super explained and what i loved
2: this character's got to take a dump here and then he's going to go to the to to, the harmark and he's got to get a card for his mom because it's going to be his birthday and then that's what tripped me up reading the books
0: and that what i really and no remorse is probably his shortest book and it's my most beloved clancy book and i'm terrified of the amazon movie i haven't watched it yet What's great about this is it's I wouldn't go so far as to say it's boiled down to the essence because I think Norman said it's clever, it's very slick, it looks good, it has a good energy, it's got great music, it's got great performances, it's got a, a, a ridiculous headlining cast. And with all of that, it's not screwed up. So often I would Michael Moore would go through and rattle off all those things, and you know, it's kind of like the departed. I would go through and be like this ensemble cast and this wonderful director and this amazing script and this music and these visuals in the movie sucked, you know, and not this time. This wasn't that. This was I think this is what a lot of things want to be. A lot of things would like to be. So there you go. Yeah, I
1: think I got on the train too late on this one. <laughs> well, I wonder how does it age? You hadn't seen it, right? You had never oh, seen it before. No, I'd never seen it. And I, w- I just want to say this, that it's John McTiernan. Uh And it's John McTiernan. I mean, and you look at all the, you know, the usual suspects, you know, that are in his movies are in this movie. And I love that, you know, not, not just the, not just the stars, but there's a lot of people that you'll see in this movies that you've seen in other movies with supporting cast. Yeah. Yeah. Supporting cast. And I really like when they do that, when they use those people again, I think that um, I think that's cool. Now I would say this thought was very interesting I didn't care for the effects, but then I looked up, I read about the effects and how they did the effects. And the the water, the, the subs in the water were actually, uh, they were models in smoke, they used smoke. And they the very uh, digitally put in a little bit of particles and bubbles. And after I found that, I was like, that's cool. Yeah, That's pretty, because I, I, I could point out-
2: The, the torpedoes the, the, didn't age their, well. The
1: torpedoes were rough. The torpedoes were rough. And when they pulled into the uh, that lake or whatever it is, the ending scene. Yeah, that yeah. was rough. Yeah, <laughs> it was distracting. Like it was, you know, when
0: you. I mean, we've all got big TVs, you know. I mean, it's just like <laughs> it, I did. I never saw that in a the theater. I, it was probably one of the early movies that we rented in my, you know, my house growing up or whatever. But. What was that like in the theater? You know, what was that like seeing that 50, 60, 100 feet wide and seeing that
1: giant white line around their heads? It's like, <laughs> did people really buy this? Well, there's part of it when Baldwin looks, you see him do a side profile, and you can see partially through his face. And I thought that was interesting. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's an old green screen problem. Yeah, that's an old actually that's an old blue screen problem. Yeah, Oh, um, blue screen? Yeah. Okay, there you go. I'll buy that.
2: Yeah. It reminds me of the people that drive in the, in the jalopies in the old movies and then they have the back window and then you know you see the see the 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 road and it's oh, yeah. moving and you're like yeah yeah <laughs> no no I the, the torpedoes were rough they were rough and that last scene was they didn't get this film at anywhere but
1: yeah that- well, and I, I didn't know this, but that the, the, the opening scene, which I thought was super impressive, one of the, well, it was near the opening. I'm not sure of the exact opening when they were, uh, when um, Sam Neill and Sean Connery, that's John him. Conner. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're going out to sea and they've got the, the tugs by him and everything. And uh, then you get to see this large, they pull back as they go by and you pull back and you see this just gigantic sub. And that was actually, they built that out of barges. And I'm like, that's impressive. You know, yeah. that, that did exactly what it was supposed to do. I looked at that and go, whoa. And uh, Sean Connery was, he was a little, he was, he was kind of griping about how uh, not griping. I think he was a pretty good sport with about the movie, but he, he said it was very close when they filmed and, and, Man, that looked – that was great. The space in that, I mean, I keep thinking about Das Boot, and I'm like, no, man, you had plenty of space. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Um, yeah, that
2: felt like – that was like the – was it presidential suite compared to a regular hotel room when you compare (laughs) uh, Red October and uh, Das Boot?
0: Expositionally, though, I was just thinking when you said that, expositionally, I'm thinking about – the uh, I'm gonna screw up the guy's name. Uh, I love this actor. He's the guy that played the younger captain, who was really excited to hunt down
2: Scarsgard. Scarsgard. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So
0: Scarsgard's boat felt like Das Boot, and the Dallas felt very tight, and the Typhoon felt very luxurious, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think because I think that was an intentional expositional uh, filming method used. So that we knew, number one, where we were in each, in when we cut to each boat, but then also to give us that continued sense of scale, right? And I think that was a, an important part because one was a little attack boat, one was a full-size American, you know, uh, um, submarine, submarine, yeah, uh, nuclear sub, and then you had yeah, this nuclear. massive typhoon, yeah. So and it was, of course, that typhoon was bigger than the previous typhoons, you know. So
1: that was cool. I liked how they did that. I gotta I gotta add this because you know uh, I gotta be that guy. I'm a, I'm the Navy guy, so you always catch the the little stupid things that people say in movies. That like, what are you talking about? Um, I do that with guns. Oh yeah, I yeah I think I've said some stupid things about guns. Um, what is the guy's name? I can't remember. It's uh, Yancey or uh, the guy that was the uh, the sub, uh, the guy that watched the radars, and oh. uh, he. he Courtney B Vance. Courtney B Vance. Yeah, Yancey. Where would I get Yancey? Courtney B Vance. He's awesome. He, I think he's awesome in the movie. Somebody calls him Seaman, and I'm thinking this dude had two stripes on his arm. He was eight. He was a second class petty officer, and he was no Seaman. He was prob- he had a rate. You know, Seaman is basically without a rate. When you, and if somebody would have called him Seaman, that person would have been in trouble unless that guy had some gold bars on there. You know what I'm saying? So. I thought uh, about that because that
0: happens during the scene where he refers to Seaman Beaumont, right? Like he talks to the other guy, Seaman Beaumont. Then you've got the, uh, you know, the rank I captain of the, uh, what was he? I thought it was a commander, but I'm not sure. he had, well, well, I'm talking uh, about had the, the watch captain, the guy that came in. Oh,
1: with the glasses, the glasses.
0: Yes, I think so. And he stood there and he made, he made the guy tell the story about, how he was using the boat as a no it wasn't him yeah yeah
1: yeah you're right yeah
0: so i think when they were telling that story they were what was his what was the character's name i know that character's name and i can't think of it i don't remember but anyway when they were when they're saying the story he said seaman whatever was just playing the music and way out at pearl and all that he was no longer a seaman i just assumed that that meant that when he was when he was seaman beaumont
1: that he was, you know, a goober too. I don't buy that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I thought that, uh, I thought they did what I loved about the movie. So here's the thing. It wasn't, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, I thought it was a good movie, but I felt it was dated. And uh, I, I enjoyed watching the people. I had an issue with them switching the accents. I get it. You know, I definitely get it. You know, you, you don't want to have a uh, Russian subtitle, you know, Russian speaking subtitles for the whole thing, not for something like that's the basically for the general fair. It's not like a foreign movie, you know, art film, but, uh, but Sean Connery, they actually said he like, he said, well, they said, I was reading an article that said, well, you know, they they spoke Russian and then after that Sean Connery used his Russian accent. Bullshit! That was <laughs> I've never heard such a Scottish Russian before in my life. And anyway, I didn't think anybody. There was one guy. Well, none of the main characters had good accents. I thought Sam, Sam Niels was okay. Sam Niels was only good when he died. I, I want to see. I want to see Montana. I want to Tim see. Tim Curry's Montana. was even rough, and he's a character actor. You know. <laughs> Tim Curry, it sounded like a British guy. It sounded like Tim Curry. None of these, that that took me out of the movie a, bit, a, a little bit, you know, and that's just, that's me. I get that. That's me. As as far as the movie went, there was a lot of things that I really enjoyed. I thought it was, that were really well done, but I would like to circle back to what uh, Norbert said was the, one of the most clever thrillers or action films. Can you, can you describe why it was clever?
2: Well, there's several reasons for me. Number one, I'm going to compare this with uh, the the uh, Disney Star Wars uh, abomination, <laughs> and you start out with uh, the Force Awakens, and they have what do they advertise? A larger uh, planet destroyer. It's bigger than ever before. Well, the the distinguishing characteristic of this this weapon. Was not that its size, even though that was impressive. They wanted to be impressive. The distinguishing characteristic was the stealth of it. Silence, you couldn't yeah. see the yeah. silence, and and that would be terrifying if you were. If you think about eighties, um, nineties, Cold War, because you could have, because uh, that was the thing. You wouldn't know when the the missiles would come. That would be the scariest thing. And, I, and then I thought when I was when I was thinking about that. If you would do that with Star Wars, what you would have would be the, a cloaked star, a death star. Wouldn't that be much more terrifying than a bigger Death Star? Because you've seen that. To me, that was one of the things that was clever about it. It was that, oh, this would be scary if you think about this in a normal sense. The normal writing, or at least today, would be, well, the the submarine is five times bigger than any sub (laughs) ever been. It's five times faster. No, they took something a little bit more subtle. But if you think about it, it's really terrifying. It would have been terrifying. And then the second, I mean, there's a lot of points that I thought was, was clever. But one of the things I liked the most was when Alec Baldwin said, and he's he's trying to win over Scott Glenn. Mancuso is his name? Yeah, right? yeah
0: Mancuso. I think. Yeah.
2: So, okay, he's trying to win him over. Mar- Marco uh, Ramius knew this guy and he was going to defect. And he said, he's going to go to, what is it, Starbird? um what do they call them the when they they turn around the uh, crazy, uh, crazy eight crazy, crazy and, Evans.
0: Evans. Yep.
2: and so he afterwards they could have left it that um he knew him but the cleverness of the writing was i just took a guess and i had a 50 50 shot and it takes it makes alec baldwin's character he, he he's taking risk and it reinforces he's taking risk he's taking educated grace or he's taking risks that that makes sense but in in a thing but he doesn't know everything he doesn't understand everything he's flying by the seat of his pants that's a little moment that most writing would you would not see you would not see that sort of thing and then the plan of how Ramirez was he was going to he was going to make sure that everybody that was on board was motivated to make it to america he sent a letter to them and they was chasing and i think what he was his original plan was that he was going to outflank him and he was going to he was going to pretend to be dead and that was how he's going to get rescued clearly he hadn't thought it all through but that was another point where i thought he was trying to make educated guesses on how he's going to work this out but it wasn't definite it wasn't like this foolproof plan that that everybody has I like that. And then I think another point for me on the cleverness part of it is the interplay between the Secretary of State and the foreign ambassador.
1: Yes. I they didn't
2: that. have to have those mo- moments in there. It just added little things to it, I thought. I could go on with with the plane. Going, uh, going down on the aircraft character to show you the stakes of it. Mm-hmm. You, you like the, you like Sam Neill's character because he, he's talking to Sean Connery, telling him how he wants to go to Montana. So when he dies, you have a sense of stakes, of loss that they, this, is, they're not going to come through this unscathed. These little things, I think, is a, and I, I haven't read the the book. I assume they're all in a book, but I think it's that's not good writing.
0: But you say, um, the, the the book is as thick as a two by four. Don't don't bother.
2: <laughs> um, so those points for me, and the way they involve different things, like how did they get Alec Baldwin to the submarine? That was a logistical uh, thing. I liked how, and, and there's little things like when the tank was. He goes, "You're going to give me ten minutes," and then as he's uh, going down you're like oh crap the time- ticker is still going when they've got to get him down and he ha- and that helicopter's got to leave within whatever that 10 minutes they got so that was a thing that little things like that for me is i don't see that very much in writing in movies i see straightforward more obvious sorts of writing where there's not as quite as much ambiguity where you have a uh, Scott Glenn character who's not I mean these guys are grizzled military commanders but they're cautious and he and the interplay with Alec Baldwin could have been much cheesier like he could have either been a pole one way or the other too eager or not eager enough I thought the balance was really good on that character how he was skeptical enough but winnable the kind of military guys you hope that we have a lot of in the, in our in our fleet but anyway, any rate, those are some of the, the things that I thought was clever.
0: Good I'd points. like to piggyback on some of that. One of the things as you were talking through, so you, you, you talk through the story of, of you know, Jack, because essentially what this is, is this is most of the story is, to, is told to us, you know, th- from Jack Ryan's perspective. And the thing is, what I love is Sean Connery. There's a couple things when you go to there's the things that you discussed were were brilliantly clever. And there were some very obvious clever things that were that were well done, too where um, Sean Connery is terrified that his only worry he trusts the American military to get him and his friends defected his only worry is that they're going to get a buckaroo on the other side of, this, of yeah. this transaction the thing is he did get a buckaroo Jack Ryan's character is completely off the wall trying to get him what he needs so he got exactly what he was scared of but it happened to be a buckaroo for for good you know he wasn't he wasn't right right, right right that's a good
2: problem. point I didn't yeah,
0: and then you've got that same character twice in the movie. These two grizzled guys, right? So you, I can't think of his name, but the guy he was a senator, uh, and he was yeah. the,
2: Thompson, yes, Fred Thompson. You know,
0: and he says Russians don't Russians don't take a dump without a plan, son. And then you know, so while he's in the shower, you know, working on his back, um, he says that, and then he says, and then later on when he's crawling through the submarine, he's like, some things in here don't react too well to bullets. You know, and it's like really, really. It's also a little bit for. It's also a little bit of foreshadowing of uh, Baldwin's later interest as a comedic actor, though, because he was all serious all the time back in the the nineties. You know, he did action stuff, but he was very serious minded actor and became didn't become a comedy actor until later. And I think that's all of that's fascinating. Yeah, I
1: think That's the only one I remember him from is Beetlejuice. I I didn't even know he was done this. Here's the thing: when I started watching this, I was like. Oh, Jack Ryan! Ah, oh, this is that Tom Clancy stuff. <laughs> I, I, it's I knew I probably knew it. I just forgot it though. Well, I haven't read
0: any of the newer Jack Ryan books, but if you've seen the series, you know as time has progressed, he's become you know more and more. You know, damn Matt Damon. You know, and the Born Identity, everything became you know that kind of a hero. This is still the very pure analyst willing to take a risk jack ryan that's that's all he ever was in the books i don't again i haven't read one in 10 years but but he was always just that really smart guy in either the right or wrong place at the right or wrong time you know and so having to go through these weird things that happened to him you know and to the norbert's point about cost you know all of the different things he's doing even though he's young it's still because they talk about his helicopter accident he was in traction and all that when he's in the when he's in the shower after he talks to the to the captain of the aircraft carrier, you know he's leaned over with a hot shower just beating on his back, you know. And so uh, there, that was really good. It's it, that was similar to the exposition you talked about about the countdown clock, right? It's it's just giving you that additional information to just it's just visual. It's very passive, but it sets the concepts in your mind because they have some really that's a really advanced story to tell in two hours, you know, like. Not only do we have, not only do we, do we not know what Ramius's plan is, we have to figure it out. Then we have to convince others of what it is. You know, that's that was a that's that's a tall order. You know, that I think they did really well. So.
2: Oh yeah, and there's a lot of other little things when he takes any, he uh, uh, strangles the apparatus uh, the what do you what do they call him apparatchiks uh, the the political guy the KGB guy oh, yeah. and he oh, takes man. his his nuclear key. At that point, you're not quite sure is he is he going to defect or is he going to, is he just trying to lure people in to, to bomb him? because he, I mean, that would, that would basically, you know, if he had a bugaboo and somebody goes nuts, that would, that would do it. And you have this stealth sub that nobody's going to find until it's too late.
0: When I saw this initially, and I probably saw it, like I said, on VHS, in my parents living room. First of all, it was the first thing I'd ever seen James Earl Jones do. That wasn't the voice of Darth Vader. Right. So that, that blew my mind, like, you know, as a Star Wars fan and you know, the original trilogy fan and a kid. And I remember I, I have never, ever forgotten and will probably emulate at some point in the future that scene where he's leaned over that control console and he pushes that button and then he's like, I was never here. That, that 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 torpedo de- detonator impact that is how i assumed that the the cia worked for the rest of my life that set the tone for my interpretation of how oh yeah. stuff works so
1: yeah we like to think that they're doing that for our benefit though most days Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, a typhoon, you know nuclear submarine apparently i was gonna say i agree with you norbert uh, about i like that it was not the Death Star type thing. One thing I really, one of my my, my favorite scenes in it, just one a real quick shot as they're and it's something I think was, I think something was said before it, but it, it shows it going through the water and the camera's on top of it. You're watching go, almost like when you watch the underside of a of a uh, Star Wars ship, how they, you know, go look at the other side yeah, 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 of the yeah, ship. Yeah. But you look at the top of it and and it's all those ballistic missile bays on the top oh, of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's, that's scary to know that that could be setting right off the coast, uh, you know, and just start boo boo lobbing things, you know?
0: How did you feel about the scene, Pat, as a new, new viewer? Well, I remember one of the most just mind boggling scenes to me was when they go into the missile bay. He makes the comment about things don't react well to bullets and he goes, Oh yeah. Right. And he goes around the corner and they have that great big match shot of all of the, the red, you know, missile silo yeah. moves going back in there. And I was just like, you know, like you're looking into that never ending warehouse and, you know, in uh, uh, Indiana Jones or whatever. So, yeah. was that, no, I that thought that was very impact? good.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. That scene to me was, and I don't know, it was probably in the book. I, I'd read that. This was very true to the book. There were some things they changed for different reasons and they're really minute. The, the red herring kind of thing where the guy was the saboteur. I didn't care for that storyline. I I, I know I can see why they did it, but I just felt like I just, I didn't like that. Of course, when I seen that scene, when he looks around there, those tubes, you know what they are. It's like, oh yeah, this is, that's pretty jacked up, you know, to have a gun gunfight in this. So. Well, and then I don't know if you remember, did John McTiernan direct the bodyguard? You know, I don't know because I think he probably was slated to, But uh, oh, by the way, uh, speaking of that, I I don't know, but I will say this: Jack Ryan was uh, slated to be played by Kevin Costner in the original script, so I thought that was kind of interesting. He ended up doing
0: Dances with Wolves instead. Oh wow! I'm glad it worked out that way. I am too. I like Kevin Costner in a lot of things. I really think that Baldwin was the right choice here. He, He. especially at that time, there was nobody hotter in Hollywood than, than Kevin Costner, you know? Oh, right, yeah. And I think that would have overshadowed the story too much because I think, you know, Baldwin being a younger, I think he was really, I don't think he was big yet. I mean, people knew his name, I'm sure, but I don't think he was huge. And for him to be on screen with all of these, these actors of the day that, that have all these chops and gravitas and attitude and all that, I think that played into you know, his youth and inexperience and lack of screen exposure played into those scenes and made them have that that gravity and that discovery. Because like Norbert said, he he was analytical. He was, you know, where, what did you say, Norbert? He was, he was very one way or the other.
2: He took chances. He was driven. He was intelligent. He knew his stuff, but he also took chances. He took risks. Right. He took calculated but he,
0: risks. But he still, even if he disagreed with these guys, he respected them. And that came through, that came through in the performances that like, even when he walks into the room and he's like, this is Admiral Greer's idea of a low profile when he's not supposed to be wearing that Naval uniform. Yeah, that was cool.
1: So. The bodyguard was directed by Mick Jackson, uh, nothing and uh, there really weren't any kind of, I didn't, I've not seen half of his movies. He's not directed that many anyway.
0: Well, I just remember that the only, I remember seeing the cook. And this is around that same time. The bodyguard came out around the same time, the cook. Is the assassin in bodyguard? The bodyguard. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah. And I always thought that was. And he had because he has a real. There's something up with his eyes. And maybe he has a face scar or something like that. And it's it's very. And I and I've never seen him do anything else.
2: I was just gonna say, I I thought this was interesting for me to think about. How do you tell a a potential? I mean, like a wide sweeping story in the two and a half hour or 2 hours and whatever it was 250 like Mike yeah. was talking about it was economical because they had the Jack Ryan character if you pull Jack Ryan out it becomes a much bigger story because then you have to to at least give people more about any of the central characters so I this way you Grant could have
0: book.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, but that's what I was just thinking about. It. Otherwise, I don't know that you could do this, that kind of grand sweeping story without having a linchpin that follows you through in that big a story. Because, it, you know, it, as Mike says, it's a huge story. And they get it through a, in, a—I feel like, a, a pretty economical way. It's very um, efficient.
0: It, it's very efficient. But it does, I think one of the biggest tricks is that it doesn't feel efficient. It feels fully fleshed out. It feels it feels like a full meal deal, right? Like you you don't walk away hungry, wondering what if you, you it's you know, it's the, the problem the story is told. Yeah is that the problem is solved then we move on.
1: I think it would have been fun at the end if instead of instead of ending I mean you can see it pulling into that bay, which would have been fun, that sub, but then showing uh, Jack Ryan and uh Rameos uh fishing, you know, that would have been pretty would have been a little better expositionally because you wouldn't have had to say what
0: they said then, right? They could they could right. have said which what they said was very was was very grand. It, they're very grand romantic ideas in a very simple, and easy to connect to package. You know, like I used to fish with my grandpa. You know, well, you know, my grandfather taught me to fish in a place just like this. You're yeah, right over here. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I so. actually think Pat's Pat's ending would have been a little better at the end because yeah, then I you wouldn't so. have that awkward awkward blue, blue screen, screen, green screen, <laughs> whatever it was.
1: I mean,
0: Put the guys in
2: the back of a pickup and drive next to a
0: lake
1: and record it. It's just not. Yeah, exactly. I don't know exactly. I don't know how hard that shot was. And I don't, I, I would, I hate to put today's technology on then. So maybe they couldn't, but it just seems like, it seems totally like we could have, have you know, they
0: yeah. Record at night. Most, a lot of that movie, if you're in the, if you're in the red October or if you're in the, the small Russian attack boat, those were dark scenes. Those are really, you know, they could film in low light. That wasn't a, I just, it's, you it, I wonder if maybe they did, one of the things we talked about, they don't really do focus groups anymore, or maybe they do and they listen too much to the fans. I wonder if whatever they had for an original ending didn't work because it does feel like a reshoot, you know? Yeah, it, it just
2: yeah. yeah. He, he, who knows what the original shot was. Right. Maybe it screwed up, you know, maybe you got somebody went, oh, <laughs> Oh, no, you're not. Yeah. Where
1: did the dailies go? Uh, where'd you send those? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I definitely, here's what, here's, I, I understand some, there were some rough shots relative to today's technology, but I got to tell, and I think Pat's right about some of the accents. I, I yeah, I, I, I feel you on that. I just, for me, I would happily trade that sort of stuff all day long for good writing. For sure. Good, 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 smart writing. Because I just feel like there's very few things that I sit there and go, "Wow, that was that was clever. That was clever." I just I don't I can't tell you the last time I watched a movie and thought that. Now there's different movies I have different experiences with, like Das Boot, where it was a, you know, sort of a study in a group of people in a you know type space, and I thought it was brilliant in that sense. I don't know that I would call it clever though.
1: I don't know that. I don't know, man. I think about that movie. It makes me feel like I'm thinking about an actual thing that happened to me in the past. It's so and weird I about think Das Boot. That's one of the
0: key differences though, because one of the things that we've, we've talked about that we enjoyed about this movie was the levity. A lot of those, a lot of the scenes that made this, I don't know. I don't know what it did. It, it definitely, it, it contributed to the experience itself those, those levity moments, you know, you, you know, I was just thinking about um, the guy in the helicopter eating the candy bar going, Oh, you want to talk about a puke fest? It's just because it's expositional about how hard this military life is. And at the same time, it's just funny. It's human condition stuff, you know, and Das Boot was just, you know, the rougher parts, the darker <laughs> side of the human condition.
1: So um,
2: it also helps to uneven the emotional pitch. I mean, I think people need resets every sure, once in a absolutely. while because otherwise people get desensitized to the tension. And I think when you have those kind of levity moments, it allows you. Whenever you come back to the tension, you can still ratchet up. I think it, at some point, if you keep rat- like Das Boot was probably one of the better movies I've ever seen where they kept ratcheting it up with the especially the pressure on the on the hull when they was going down. Yeah. I mean, that was always making me anxious and i but most movies don't do that i mean you can't do that well most stories don't work very well if you if you just continue to ratchet
0: well and that's that's part of what i think we all talk about on some level when we talk about modern modern movies there's no reason for chase sequences to be 10 and 15 minutes long they don't work as well you don't have any concern for the characters and you're not near as excited because you just want the damn scene to be over I really feel that way in most cases in most movies now when they have some kind of complex car chase or or even uh, Casino Royale where they did the parkour chase, you know, and it just come on. Can we move on with the story, please? You know, and I think I think pacing, <laughs> I think that's one of the keys to this. And you talked about that pulse, Norbert. You know, the the that that's one of the keys is giving people breathers and stuff. Pacing is a lost art. Pacing is a lost editorial, but possibly a lost writing art right? I mean, it, it's possible. Uh, yeah. It's hard to say when movies are, when, you know, how they success or fail that, you know, everything that's coming out right now says the original Star Wars was saved in the edit, you know, um, and that that was the only reason that movie was ever going to make money. And it did, you know, it became, you know, it changed movie making forever. But uh, this was this was just that really good clinical study in solid
1: movie making. I think it was a good story. I think it was a very good story. They won an Academy Award for uh, Best Sound Editing and uh, had nominations for Best Sound Mixing, and, uh, Best Film Editing. So, but a lot of this had to do with the the background music. I don't like it. I didn't like that music. It's that Russian kind of uh, stuff that I was just like, ah, I don't like that stuff. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's that's my that's my bag. You know, it's it's not the bag on the movie, but I would rather heard a heavy metal. You know <laughs> you know, like last action hero or something soundtrack. <laughs> I, I think it's funny when I was reading about it, it was uh I mean people were gaga over that score, man. And then they ended up like what, what they had to do is when they re- released it on, on vinyl, when it first came out, you know, they were just getting to the cassette and they were putting on a cassette and CDs were just coming around and they, they didn't have enough room to put all, they had to leave some songs out. So when they got it like 20 years later, I don't know how long later, maybe it was only 10 years later, they re-released it. And then they, they added the, uh, when the, the, um, the Soviets are singing the national anthem, you know, they added that back into the score. Now, Last thing I want to hear is, uh, you know, Soviet National Anthem saying, you know, I just, it's not my bag, but I think it's uh, it's very cool. The the different elements in this movie that, that really uh, carried it carried it on, you know.
2: I never really thought about too much. If it's not, what's his name? Uh, Danny Elfman or John Williams John or... Williams. or Hans Zimmer, uh, you know, I'm, Zimmer, I'm probably yeah. not going to be gaga over it. For me, I just come back to the, how do you write good stories? How do you write, and what you were saying about it, uh, following the book closely, I wonder how many good books out there that could be mined for great writing and great stories that people are just, I mean, they're just, they're not, they're not wanting to take a chance on this or that or the other because i'm pretty sure this was the first of the clancy i think this was before clancy blew up
0: i think is no i think as a writer
2: he was pretty successful but i think this was, was for i think this it was his was first, the first movie right Jack
0: Ryan movie for sure
2: yeah. So, yeah. yeah so but that's the thing i wish we would see more of is more thoughtful choices in writing of characters and of situations. Perfect,
0: a perfect modern example of where that works and where it doesn't in the same in the same product, Game of Thrones. Widely, reg- I, I became a Game of Thrones fan when season five started, and I watched seasons one through four digitally, and then it, you know then, then I watched you know season to season after that. And I remember thinking that the last half, the la- the the final seasons didn't feel like the first seasons. It just didn't have the quality. It didn't have it was hollow. It didn't really, you know, it just didn't. Characters did things you didn't expect them to. And after you've watched four seasons of a television show or, you know, read, you know, read books, which I didn't read those books. Those books were based on George R. R. the first four seasons were based on George R. R. Martin's works. The last four were when he said, well, you guys got to it before I did. So they let HBO run with it. And it was not the same product. And people will tell you that, that is, there's a, an absolute demarcation point between one through four and everything after. Because one through four was amazing. And and four through eight or four through seven or whatever it was, nobody cares. It's not good. And that's basing on, on really solid, well-loved source material versus just writing on the fly.
2: Yeah, I, I think I've heard that he has a particular voice in writing that is very different. Not just anybody could do it. And so clearly, I've heard the same thing. I, I've never been an aficionado of Gear, Game of Thrones, but since I've got HBO Max, I may take a dive in it. But it's kind of it's hard for me to do it because I've heard not only Mike, but I've heard other people say that once you get to season five, you just might as well waste. I mean, you just might as well dip out of it because it's just not well done. So then I, I just, I almost hate to invest something that I know is going to go off the rails before the end of the conclusion of the story so
1: but don't watch battlestar
2: 2004
1: then you know it was uh sometimes it, the journey is the destination michael well
2: so, it was for us
0: I remember yeah. did you watch <laughs> that norbert were you a battlestar fan in the day was it like oh four oh five somewhere in there
2: battlestar Battle battlestar galactica, galactica? yeah,
0: yeah it, it was redone in the mid two thousand.
2: i i watched the original some of the original but i've never watched the, the revival what what was that on when did that come out on
0: sci-fi it was sci-fi, like yeah, was, and you know what? It was kind of the rebirth of sci-fi because there was nothing that had been on sci-fi before that time. I had tried for years to watch their stuff, and then came this unbelievably high-quality, visually slick, per, you know, production. By it was just like boom, and then yeah
1: <laughs> it had a lot of good stuff to it. It just didn't pan out, you know. Yeah. It was the writers even said that we don't have an ending for this, <laughs> you know. So, and uh it showed when it ended. You, know, <laughs> you, know, you don't have an ending. You know they're um, picking it back up. Yeah, and I may watch it. I don't know. Uh, I've got a lot of reality TV to catch up on, so I don't know <laughs> if I can make that. Um, Tom Clancy, he had a movie, and I, I had it. Now it's gone. I was looking on the on the webs. It was uh, – and it was 1978. So well, he's what? had movies for a while. But I think it was – I don't remember the name of it. I, I looked it up again, and um, something ghost. Oh, your He's had movies – He's had movies out there, you know, look up Tom Clancy movies and he's had, actually I say Clancy movies. That was, yeah, it's called the ghost of flight 401 was in 1978. I'm just feeling like that might've been a make made for TV movie, but he had a touch of the poet in 1974, King of the night in 1975, submarine, still boats, iron man. It's, it seems like a, um, probably a, um, documentary it was 1989 so he's been in the films for a while which i think is very i didn't know that that we noticed no i had no clue here's a fun thing too i didn't know there was a splinter cell movie so i remember the game but i i didn't remember the uh there was a
2: movie (laughs) i knew there was a game too i didn't know there was a movie
1: yeah so that was just kind of crazy but you know he's very prolific and i think about you know i think really I would think that he was making money all that time, but I think Hunt for Red October just sh- shot him over the, mm-hmm. the top. And then you've got all these Jack Ryan movies. And I watched about 15, 20 minutes of No Remorse. Just, it's it's such a stereotypical family, you know, dies. You know, somebody killed my family and I got to go take revenge kind of thing. That's Which I don't, I'm a, that's one of my that's one of my favorite movies is a revenge movie. But I was like, nah, let's watch something else after I watched about. I if think you want to see terrified. a really
0: good Tom Clancy movie, read No Remorse. It's a sh- it's probably his shortest novel. And it's the easiest reading novel because he doesn't get involved in all of the just exhausting detail. It's just a good, quick-reading book. And I, I just, yeah, I'm terrified of the Amazon movie. The
2: <laughs> is, is, it, is, it, is it Clark? Is it about Clark?
0: Yes, yes.
2: I feel like, I mean, I always like this kind of stuff. Not always. I shouldn't say I always like. There's a parallel to me to Tom Clancy and Michael Crichton, and that is, I typically learn something interesting. Oh, sure. When I'm reading, he makes learning something that I didn't know interesting. Sure. Or there's conventional wisdom that I sort of I thought, and then he you read a, a story and you go, well, you know, this is the way you think about this. Well, that's not really how this works at all. And I, and and Crichton would do that too. I I think, and they're both very intelligent men who, um, who could write things that were a little bit more sophisticated. I think that Clancy was a little better at characterization than, than Crichton, but Crichton had a more wide interest in the world than I think Clancy did. Probably.
1: Yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. Uh, You know, I've not read Tom Clancy and it's not really kind of my, my deal, but, Man, Michael Crichton, I don't think I've ever read anything of him that I didn't really just love to at, at some level. He has a he has a pattern when he writes, you know, we have this we have this system that can't be broken. It's it's un you know, unscrew if that's a word, and then it gets screwed up. And then the whole book is getting it back in. And I I love it. So you know what I'm saying? I I don't I know what I'm getting and I love it every time. 'm I'm not, I'm not saying all those books because I haven't read everything, but a lot of the, the majority have read, that's what happens.
0: Well, I think I think everyone probably looks at their first experience with Crichton with nostalgia. And mine was the movie Jurassic Park. Everything, and it's not that I compare it back to. there's a level of trust. I mean, that was that was a Steven Spielberg film. It wasn't even a book, but it was there's a level of trust that I have that I'm willing to to get into that suspension of disbelief because I'm going to be treated with respect and given a quality experience from this author, from this imagination, you know, and that's, that's worth something that's important. Uh, Like you said,
1: even bad stuff. Actually it was a book. It's called the lost, uh, lost world. Well, there's actually, yeah. Well, actually Jurassic park.
0: And then he actually wrote a sequel to Jurassic park. Oh, that's right. Uh, It was Jurassic park. Park, And then it's lost
1: world. Yeah. duh. (laughs) Yeah. With me and Crichton, this is what happened. When I was like 12 or 13, it came out of a book. I, and I know Norbert, and I think you know this, Michael, a book called Eaters of the Dead. So I read oh, yeah. this book, and I'm uh, and I I'm like, holy crap, because it's written like a factual story. And <laughs> yeah, it's got footnoted of, and everything. Oh, yeah, all kinds of footnotes. And I go, holy crap, this is like a, an actual retell. It's Beowulf, but it's, it's the true story of Beowulf. And I, I literally was looking for his ad. I would go to the, the library to try to find his publicist to tell him, do you know what you found? Like, I'm this 13-year-old <laughs> kid, and I don't know that Michael Crichton did this to basically show that Beowulf could be interesting. <laughs> I love Beowulf. <laughs> so needless uh, to say, I never did find his ad- address, so I never got to tell him. And I hope he realizes someday that you know, <laughs> that was really the story of Beowulf.
2: i feel like i would love to see more of that sense of wonder like in of curiosity of what we're seeing like whether it's books or movies i want to see things that i want to see the submarine that comes out that has us has a stealth drive that that nobody is thinking about what would that i mean how would that change the world i'm not altogether convinced that Clancy had some inside people that was feeding him things that people were working on, and he sort of had a sense of, oh, this is kind of the thing that people are, I mean, in the nose, because it sounded like he had some inside sources. But regardless, there was cool concepts, and, you know, Crichton even more so, because he had such a wide, wide sense of, of, of the world and interest in and he could make the, you, you would be like filled with wonder, whether it's, you know, Jurassic Park or even Westworld or any number of movies that he's done. Towards the end, you know, it got a little less so, but I mean, he had cancer, so I'll give him a pass on that. Well, it, claims it definitely stuff
0: became brand, basically, you know, like Netflix. Yeah.
1: Or- well, I think that's what people expected from... Crichton as well. He makes a book. We'll turn it into a movie. Sure. I don't know how much disclosure needed to be a movie, to be honest with you. Um, I don't, I mean, they try to use a virtual stuff to kind of add that technology or that cool uh, thing that Crichton puts in his books. But just to me, it was kind of a dead fish, you know?
2: Oh, last thing I want to make sure to get this in. I was just thinking about this. So I think it was 87 McTiernan did uh, Predator. He did in eighty eight. He did I Die heard. Hard. Yeah. In ninety, he did The Hunt for Red October. With those three movies in your uh, resume, you can retire. You're done. Your <laughs> your place in action film history is is to <laughs> me. That's that's a pretty good trio of movies to to have in your belt as a director. Yeah. Matter of fact, I don't even know what he did after that, it's, but I, I do know. He did I those know
1: three. Well, he did The Thirteenth Warrior in ninety nine. And the Thomas Crown Affair in ninety. And wasn't the Thirteenth Warrior based on Eaters of the Dead?
2: Yes, it was. With the, it
1: was wow, that's crazy. Oh man, the, the
2: circle is is closed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap it up real quick. What did you guys think of this movie? Just in a nutshell.
2: I think. I I think recommend uh, or? I would highly recommend this movie to watch for no other reason than to watch precision and really well written script it's my favorite maybe my one of my five you know for action movies i can't think of five movies that i like better for script in terms of if you're interested at all in watching good smart action movies this is for you
0: yeah i would agree i i would say that that you know to your point earlier pat you know, it works on a formula that works very well and it delivers from beginning to end as an enjoyable experience. The only thing is, my question is, if you've never seen it before, hopefully you're good at putting yourself in that late 80s, early 90s headspace to watch it. But other than that, I think it's fantastic.
1: I think that's a good point, Michael. That that was a point I was gonna make. But I think that as a lover of John Carpenter's the thing. Sometimes you have to remember movies were made later and it was made with a lot of heart and it's still, the story is amazing. So, all right, folks, that sounds great. Hey, thanks for coming. This was, this was awesome to hang out and talk to you guys about this. Always. And we will talk again. See you guys. Later. Bye. See you, Albert.
2: Thanks for hanging out with us on the true
0: fiction podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. Hey,
1: hey. you're too late. Catch a ride somewhere else. Catch your ride. Catch a ride somewhere else.